God who can empathize with our pain, a God who can sympathize with, with our struggles. We have a God who literally walked in our shoes. Jesus went through the process of being tortured and beaten and bruised and crucified. But because Jesus went through this process, because Jesus spilled his blood, because he who knew no sin actually became sin for us, died for us, then rose again. Because of that process, we can know forgiveness. We can know salvation. We can know eternal life. We can know God. See, there is purpose behind the process. It was another great uh, week of our O Pioneer series, actually the final week of final week. our O Pioneer series. And It's um, over. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's over, and another one begins. Yes. But before we move on, we want to talk a little bit about this. Yeah, let's talk about uh, Sunday. This uh, closing message. Um, was it Christmas? Yeah, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Are we allowed to read from that part of the Gospels? Yeah, it's really funny. When other times of the year? When I started uh, planning for this, this teaching, it was, uh, what, three or four months ago? Yeah. And it was a lot closer to Christmas then than it is now. It feels even weirder now. But yeah, we started out with reading through Luke 2 and just the story of classically the passage that you read at Christmas, mm -hmm. which is talking about Mary giving birth, Joseph, you know, everything. Yeah. And uh, I think it's really interesting because we assign certain passages to only like certain times right. of the year, right? right? So so that we, we did open up this this teaching with with Luke chapter 2. It definitely yeah. had that vibe. Like, I, yeah. I heard your voice, but I couldn't see you because we were here in the studio. And um, I heard you reading, and, I, you know, it's the Mary and yeah. the, the headed, this, you know, the taxes or the, the, yeah. the, what, the census, I guess, yeah. is what the part that you read. And um, this is actually a concept that you've talked about in the past, I think, during a Christmas service, mm -hmm. uh, this idea of small beginnings. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love that you told the story of you two and Apple, yeah. and those, yeah. uh, you've talked about that before. Those are some really uh, cool stories. And I, before we jump to anything else, I, I think that that is such a fascinating thing that we gloss over even at Christmas time, mm -hmm. is how truly humbly Jesus came right. to this earth. And we're allowed to talk about it, even though it's not mm -hmm. Christmas. So let's talk yeah, about that for just a second. Because um, you only really touched on it a little bit. Right. But... It's insane. I mean, yeah, it like, definitely is. If insane. you really start to dial in to, yeah. um, if you really start to dial into the fact that the creator of, and we've been hitting on this theme, I think, actually, for a number of weeks now, just continuing to try and get people's perspective about Christ to yes. be correct. Yes. Because we honestly don't have right. the correct perspective yes. most days, most moments. Because if we did, it would change our behavior in right. every moment of every day, right. wouldn't it? Right. And so the creator of the universe puts on flesh. Mm -hmm. um, and you even you even talked at, at a moment like imagine like imagine you creating your parents, your yeah. earthly parents. <laughs> right. And then your parents scolding you. And yeah. that's such an insane weird. idea because we were we're told in scripture that um, Jesus was there. He created all things. All things were created for him, through him, by him. He, right. he was there. And so there's not a thing that's been created, which would include right. Mary, Joseph. It would include everybody he encountered here on earth and all mm -hmm. of that. And so this idea that the Savior would subject himself, like, a, like lower himself mm -hmm. to that state, to be a baby. And I, it's so hard for me to fathom the whole deity of of God in a in a baby, but we don't slow enough down to yeah. think about that for we definitely don't for long enough. You yeah, know? 
I think that there's a lot. So we talked Sunday on this idea of pioneering, uh, right, the, the, the process and, and pioneering this, having a balanced process and pioneering, you know, we, we pulled that in from the week before right. and this idea that we are a people in process and that big has to start somewhere, mm-hmm. big starts small, hence going through Luke chapter 2. And I do think, to your point, it's really interesting. There's a there's a passage in Scripture where Joseph and Mary are going to temple, and they're they're with other family members and other other like minded individuals, and they lose Jesus, mm. and they lose Jesus. He's around 12 years old. He's not yet a man, but he's old enough um, to go with them. And and he kind of wanders off. <laughs> it's kind of the right. the idea, and he goes to temple. He goes to the temple and. Mary and Joseph, they, they think that he's with some relatives or some family or something, and they leave. And a couple days later, they're like, where's Jesus? Because mm-hmm. they're traveling a far distance. Yeah, they're traveling really yeah. far into the yeah. city, right? And, um, and then they're going home. And I always, I always laugh every time, and I always have every time I've read that passage. It's like, how do you lose God? Like, how did you lose <laughs> Jesus, you know? But then they come back, and they're like, where have you been, Jesus? Like, you've caused us so much stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And Jesus like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Right. You know. But then what's interesting, so there's all that. But then what's interesting is it says that uh, Jesus goes with them and basically honors them in their, not discipline, but their like scolding of him, like teaching mm-hmm. of him in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a really strange concept because if I'm Jesus, I'm like, like you said, uh, hey, I made you. Right. You're only put together because I'm holding you together, mm-hmm. like quite literally, mm-hmm. right? At, at the at the smallest level, and yet Jesus truly humbles himself um, to become fully human, even as a 12 year old kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish there was more written about Christ in the middle, yeah. right? We have we have a lot in the beginning. We know a lot about the end, mm. but not a lot. At least his end here on this earth, as told through Scripture but not a whole lot about the middle. And that, I wish there was more about Jesus in the middle. Yeah. Um, because it must have been a struggle to know, hey, I'm, I'm God in the flesh. Right. I and the Father are one. Um, I don't, it's not something that he just realized, something like, like that when he was 16, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. mean, he says at age 12, you should know I'd be in my Father's house. Yeah, he knows. He knows. Yeah. He's yeah. fully God, fully mm-hmm. man. Um, which is just so interesting to think about oh, yeah. all on its own. Yeah. But the frustration I would imagine Christ had to have felt at times, um, I, I don't know how to even like kind of quantify it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is it kind of like, is it kind of like Superman when he's pretending, a kid? Yeah. Pretending not to be strong, pretending not to be fast, pretending yeah. like all of those things. And I it's, mean, it's, it's true because we have, we have um, these amazing stories that we see. I mean, it doesn't, it, it says at the end of, is it Luke or Acts or something where it's like, if we put everything in these books, you would like no the books yeah. of the whole world couldn't contain <laughs> Can contain, everything that yeah. Christ did. Yeah. Um, and that's just like during his ministry. But, yeah. but before that he was just, he was living life. He was a, life. a carpenter. Had a he job. He had a job. He, he also got was a up. rabbi. He had, yeah, he was a rabbi. Went he, to school. He went to school. He learned, he taught, he had, Friends. He, he had ate. family. He ate. He <laughs> he did all the things that played video games. We do. I don't know about that one. <laughs> what was their version of video games back then? Uh, throwing sticks. The the old stick throw. Yeah, the old stick throw. <laughs> the old stick throw. <laughs> They'd There's, have different 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 size sticks. Is, and so throw them. This 
I don't mean to like say something insensitive, but the the dreidel is like a Jewish thing, right? Yeah, so they made them out of clay. <laughs> okay. Is that right? That's the song. Yeah, is that a real song, or dreidel, are we like dreidel, accidentally dreidel, saying we made something? Made it out of clay. That's a real song. Yeah. So like that was a toy. That was a toy. Like I think a, it had some like very spin. yeah very symbolic like meaning. Um, I don't really did you receive those. I think I think you get is one of a, those around Hanukkah. Is it around Hanukkah? Yeah, I assumed it was, but like. He lived a life that was normal, yeah. you know? He, he lived a life that was normal, <clears throat> and it's easy, like you said, to... We, we read about the birth at Christmas. Yeah. We read about his ministry leading up to his death going into Easter. We talk yeah. about it year-round, you know, right. as, as Christians, but there was a whole heck of a lot of life mm. where he was just a carpenter right. and, like... Yeah. Well, and I think that's... Okay, so for me, that's where this sermon came from. Yeah. Out of reading Luke 2... And then um, well, in Luke 2, the continuation of Luke 2 into the story of him being in temple at 12. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's where most of us live our entire lives. Most of us live our lives in the middle. Mm. I can remember a time when I was a kid. Um, I can think about a time in the future when I will be older mm-hmm. or, or passing away. You know, like, But everything else is in the middle. So most of life is lived in the middle. And it's the least amount that we get about the life of Christ in the middle. Mm. Um, now, we do see life in the middle with other biblical characters. You know, you see Moses. Mm. We get a great deal of seeing in the middle, um, but a lot of even his life is lost in the middle. I think there's some, uh, what, 40 years yeah, he just, he unaccounted go, for he, just in... He runs, he has a family. He's, he's in the desert. We don't know. Just yeah. being a shepherd. 40 years shepherd. is a long time. To it just is. not have details. It's half about. of your life. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly I mean, right. Right? Exactly right. And, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we forget that. That's, yeah. that's insane. And, like, I, and I think a lot, <clears throat> a lot of the reason that there's not an account for the middle for a lot of people's lives is because there's just not a whole lot going on, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we feel like that in our lives, and... Like, there's just not a whole lot going on, so this season isn't important. You know, Jesus wasn't walking on water when he was 14. Yeah. Maybe he was. I don't really know. Sure. But Jesus, it's not documented in Scripture. He could have if he wanted to. Right, he could have if he wanted to. Um, Jesus wasn't necessarily feeding 5,000 at age, you know, know, 17. Mm. So there weren't these momentous miracles and occasions, so we just kind of think like, well, then nothing really big was going on, not really that important. Sometimes we're like, you know... 30, 35, 40, 45, and you're like, okay, maybe my best years are behind me. Or maybe you think, oh, my best years are ahead of me. But right now, I'm just kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I think in that way, we end up missing out on living the majority of our life. Because the majority of our life is made up in the middle. Or or, uh, we're not excited about our life because what we're walking through is messy. Mm-hmm. And and some sometimes what I don't think we realize according to scripture is like our life is one big process, you know? It's a process inside of a process if you could think about it like that. Uh, Pastor David made a great point conversation the other day. He's like, you know, really our life is just a process preparing us for the next life, you know, eternity. It's a long road and it's a it's a long messy road. But even within that process there's a process that is just our life right? And so, and even within that, there's this microcosm of the process of the day-to-day, morning to night, sleep, rest, you know, morning to night. 
and that is the process of the 24 hours. Um, but that process is messy. That process can be really nasty. That process can hurt. That process can be painful. Yeah. But if we judge our process by our, um, you know, just our perception of what is happening in the process, we're missing it. We're missing the mm -hmm. whole big picture. We need to be able to step out of our process, view the process as a process, yeah. and not the process as the reality of the of everything. Does yeah. that? Does that make sense? I, I think so. so. You might be able to explain that a little bit better. Uh, well, we'll see. Um, it's 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 as though we make right now whatever's happening right now, however I feel right mm. now, is just my reality. Yeah, forever. that's a better way to say. We it. fall into that trap, right? Yeah. And and um, when dealing with anxiety, when you're when you're when you're when you're learning, I know I've had to learn this in my own life. Um, Pastor David and I have had this conversation. He's taught on this when he's taught on anxiety, and that's reminding yourself that how I feel right in this second is mm -hmm. not how I'm going to feel mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. And that's hard true to see that in the moment. In the moment, because it it's the most present thing in your life yeah. in the moment. And right now is a really good time to be talking about process because people mm -hmm. are at home, they're in abnormal situations, mm -hmm. they they might be out of work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got. Uh, dads who are in the home with their kids when they're not normally in their homes with their kids or moms mm -hmm. maybe or whatever it is. You're just mm -hmm. in, a, in a different environment mm -hmm. than, you, mm -hmm. than you're normally accustomed to. And it can feel like, what is this mm -hmm. weird, bizarre world right. that I'm trapped in? And the number one temptation is to feel like this is just this is it. it. This is the new reality or the well, forever. And I think we do ourselves a disservice <laughs> when we define ourselves by a moment. Yeah. And we hear this language a lot, don't we? I mean, we hear people say, the defining moment of his life. Oh, Can you yeah. imagine yeah. that weight and Put pressure? It all on one moment. And, and I want to, you might disagree with me, but I, I want to say, like, this too, because I've even heard pastors and teachers and leaders say, like, Jesus on the cross was the defining moment of his life. Mm -hmm. I disagree. Mm -hmm. I think it was the process that Jesus walked through that allowed him, really, the ability. You know, what I'm talking about here, the, the ability to get up even on the cross. So the cross wasn't the defining moment of his life. His life and the process was defining of who he was. Mm -hmm. How he acted within the process defined who he was. Not mm -hmm. any one single moment, and, and it all was a process. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, by and large, we are defined by this process we're walking through, but you can't be defined in the moment of process. Case in point, let me give you an example. Um, if we define ourselves uh, moment to moment, then anytime I mess up, I'm legitimately a failure. Mm. Uh, if, if we're struggling with some type of an addiction, um, say alcohol or something like that, and you fail, you know, you have a drink, you, you mess up. Well, now it's not something like, okay, I'm going to get up and do better. Now it's like, I'm a failure. Right. It I'm becomes, done. It becomes your identity. A defining moment. Yeah. Yeah. And so we cannot, the, see, the best thing is, like, the process is messy, but when we realize that we are all people in process, mm -hmm. I'm not defined by where I am in the process, right? Right. I'm not defined. Just like I can't, I can't really uh, define a thing by, by how it starts, I want to know how it finishes. Mm -hmm. I want to know how it ends up. Um, you know, we planted this church 10 years ago. 
a lot of people celebrated, hey, this is great, wow, the courage and the faith. And I'm going to say this, and I know I'm in a relationship with a lot of church planners, and I celebrate their faith to start. It's a big step. Yeah. It was the biggest step for me ever in my life of faith to step out and plant a church at that time. But I would say it takes, and, and no slight to anybody, but where are the people, like we all love to celebrate how something starts, where are the people celebrating the middle? Mm. Why don't we celebrate the middle? Everybody loves the person that raises their hand and says, I want to know Jesus. We all celebrate that. Where are the people that celebrate the person who's like, man, year eight, and I am trying to read scripture every day. I'm trying to, to build you know, relational currency with my neighbor so I can share Christ. That's the middle. Mm-hmm. Why don't we celebrate that as much as we do the beginning? Yeah, it's just not flashy, right? It's no, not. It's not. It's not. <clears throat> sexy it's not enough. Instagrammable. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not. Because what would that look like if it was? I mean, nobody would follow that account. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it would be a picture of a guy like opening his car door, going to work. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's yeah. not. We actually because that's faithful. Like we get annoyed when people share monotonous things with us, right? Yeah. Like because it. But the truth is, it's it's in those moments. It's yeah. in that daily grind. You, mm-hmm. you talked about the daily grind for yeah. people going to work or doing yeah. doing whatever. It's in those moments, um, and and the the sum total of mm-hmm. those moments can culminate. Mm-hmm. So you you talk about this like the Jesus on the cross being the defining moment or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And by the way, I'm not saying that moment's not important. Oh, of course it is. It is. But it's the your I think your point is that it's the culmination of everything that led up to it. Had Christ sinned at any point in the process, yeah, it's over. I mean the cross is not even an available option yeah, for him. And and how many prophecies were fulfilled on the way to the cross. Exactly. I mean how many how many times did Christ say, like I'm doing this? And it's because I gotta fulfill the prophecy. Right, you right, know? right, exactly. Um, and that God didn't do that stuff on accident. That stuff right. was on purpose, and it was valuable. And right. so it's the sum total of the things, including the including the daily grind of Christ being, mm-hmm. you know, um, a carpenter in mm-hmm. the stories that we don't read, including the, the daily grind of him going to rabbi school. I don't know what Man. it's called. But yeah. <laughs> no, it's called rabbi school. Rabbi school. Yeah. Um, including all of those moments, the sum total of all those moments led to him being the spotless lamb. Yes. So you can't. You can't discount. And I know that we have, and, I, and I, I really want to push back on this a little bit, this view of, well, yeah, but it's Jesus. Like, that's always the way that we make ourselves feel better. Like, <laughs> right. well, yeah, but that no, was Jesus. Jesus. He didn't sin, yeah. right? We tend to forget that the incarnation of Jesus, by the incarnation of God, by the way, if you're just kind of, like, that's a big word for some of us, right? And I get that. It just means God with flesh and bone on. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the incarnation, mm-hmm. right? Fully God, fully man. And I don't think we believe that. I don't think we believe that God, through Christ, was fully human. Mm. But he was. He was fully human, which means that he was tempted. Mm-hmm. Te- being tempted is not a sin, by the way. Following through is when it becomes yeah, sin. On it, yeah. But the very fact that, sa- that Scripture tells us he is tempted by the, by the enemy, by Satan out in the wilderness, means that there was a part of what Satan was offering him that was alluring mm-hmm. to the fleshly side right. of Christ. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that. Yeah, it, Don't forget that. That's so important. It's Hebrews that talks about why this is important, too. Oh, right? huge. Because he, he went through what we go through mm-hmm. so that he could be the best priest, yeah. so that he could be somebody who can identify with the pain. This, yeah, is not a, weakness. this is not a Savior who doesn't understand what it's like to feel heat. He 
he lived a long time ago before air conditioner. He felt mm, heat yeah. differently than we feel heat yeah. in the desert, right? Yeah, like, for sure. Uh, he was thirsty, unlike we probably understand in this country. Mm. He was he was hot. He was tired. He you know they wore like sandals and yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. Like we're getting bit by things in in the desert and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but he, the scripture tells us that he needed to go through that so that he could identify with our pain. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to cast that aside because man, that's really really important. Yeah. This isn't a savior who has no concept of what we're going through. This yeah. is a Savior who went through everything yeah. that we go through. He's right. tempted as we were tempted. He he feels the Huge discomforts of this life, and yet he was the spotless lamb. And that is because the reason that he was able to get up on the cross, die for the sins of the world, blood covers you know uh, uh, the world's sins, mm-hmm. right? Should we confess that he is God? The reason is because he was faithful in the middle. Mm. He was faithful throughout his life. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I want to encourage some people today, if you've been defining yourself to, uh, am I saying micro, at a micro level, macro level, like too small, mm-hmm. you're, you're defining yourself too narrowly because of your sin, because of how you failed. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to, I, I wish that people would get up and out and get a bigger identity, you know, one connected to God that's not going to fail. Because if you're like, man, I failed. No, you, you're not a failure. You're just a person in process. Mm-hmm. We always want to talk about David, King David. You know, like, oh, he was so great. He was, man, he slayed the giant, best king ever, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he also committed adultery and had the woman's husband, Uriah, sent, who was, by the way, one of his best friends. Yeah, yeah. Scripture defines him as a mighty man mm-hmm. of David's army, right? So he is one of his closest friends, sends him to the front line of a war, because he knows he'll he'll be killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is like, that's, you know, that'll get you sent to jail oh, yeah. <laughs> today no, it, and killed. And that's true about so many of our heroes of the Bible. And Moses they, killed they, somebody. Yeah, oh, exactly. Buried right. him in the sand, hit him. You Even, know, uh, you know, we we've we've talked about Noah in in the recent year, mm. and just the the disdain that he had for the people that God. He was essentially a racist. Oh. I mean, like he had disdain for the people that God sent. And then him to post reach. post Ark becomes an alcoholic, becomes like a drunk. Oh yeah, sorry, I meant Jonah. You, you were, were talking, talking about Jonah. Jonah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I meant Jonah. Yeah. Jonah was definitely. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely say he was very. Uh, uh, yeah, he hated the Ninevites. He was a racist. You he know? hated the and Ninevites. And Noah, you said that on Sunday. Noah was he he was given too much wine. As yeah. scripture says. Yeah, like, Jonah. By the way. Uh, people kind of want to say like, well, Jonah's got a point. They were bad people. Yeah, okay, I get that. Mm. However, even post God, uh, you know, not bringing an onslaught of anger and wrath to Nineveh, Jonah's mad at God. Then. He's still mad. Yeah, God, they, why they, they repent? I, and he says the funniest thing. He says, "I knew you'd do that." God, I knew you'd save those people. Gracious. That's why I didn't want to come because yeah, of your cause, grace. Because of your mercy. And then God's like, "All right, I'm gonna." You know, you're under the shade tree. I'm going to kill the tree so you feel really bad. It's just amazing. But we see those people that we put up on this pedestal, and we realize that God's not defining them by single moments. Mm -hmm. He's giving them the the grace to learn in the process because that's how God works. God allows us to learn in the process. And so we can't judge ourselves by one single moment. Thankfully, look at the life of Peter. Jesus Christ doesn't judge 
Peter by one moment in his life, mm-hmm. the moment that he denied Jesus Christ. Right. He, he doesn't deny. He doesn't. He doesn't uh, define him by that moment, but still allows him to come back. Yeah. Now he gives him a little bit of heat about yeah, he does. it. Yeah, but Rightfully he allows him so. to come yeah. back. So let's dial into that a little bit because there is a difference in Scripture between the people we're talking about and and their not the moments where they fail, mm-hmm. but their ongoing view of God mm-hmm. and their faith in Him mm-hmm. and and their um, disposition towards Him, mm-hmm. right? Because there are people who um, fail in a different way, Judas and mm-hmm. and Pharaoh and 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 others, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, who are given an opportunity to acknowledge God, but mm-hmm. they they don't do the same thing that these people do. Mm-hmm. And so there's two different ways that you can go in the process. Is that right? Like, totally. Um, so, or not go. Or not go. Or stop sure. mid-process. So, so let's dig into that. What, what, what makes David, what makes Noah, Jonah, Moses, what, what makes them somebody who, yeah, they're not defined by those moments, but what was it about yeah. their um, culminating behavior, so to speak, yeah. that mattered? That's a good question. And I think that's a... I think that's a deeper theological question than we even have time to get into sure. because it's based on your theology. So I'll take the middle of the road okay. on it. Okay, on on let's take a uh, a free will uh, point of view. Okay, okay? Um, I would say with a David is that David knew God. David knew God even in the midst of his sin. He still knew God. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say he had a relationship with God had a relationship that was there before he became a king, before he became an anybody. There was a relationship with God. He used to sit and write songs. We have the, we have the Psalms, mm-hmm. largely written out of David's vocab. Um, and, and so we see a relationship there. And, and, and so even in his failure, he still knew his God. Mm-hmm. And if you look and see, David repents. David falls to his knees, laments, repents of what he did, right. and returns to God. So you look at Peter. Peter fails in a massive way. Uh, you know, he, he, he totally lies multiple times about knowing Jesus Christ mm-hmm. while Jesus Christ is arrested on his way to execution. Right. This is the same Jesus that he was friends with, sharing meals with, learning from, watching do miracles. But because of the relationship, Peter returns mm. to Jesus, mm-hmm. Right. And Jesus accepts Peter back. And so when you go through time and time and time again, you look at Moses, you look at David, you look at uh, any of these guys. I mean, any, any of them, Peter, Luke, any, any, anybody, excuse me, in the early church, you literally see people because of relationship returning back to God. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. When you look at a, an individual like Pharaoh, no relationship, mm-hmm. none. A hardened heart, unwilling to budge, when you look at Judas, classic example, Judas, the, the saddest thing about Judas is that Judas could have come back mm. because of the story of Peter. Had Judas just come back to Jesus and said, I was wrong, I don't see any reason why theologically Jesus wouldn't have said, okay, I forgive you. Mm. But Judas clearly didn't have that relationship, which means Judas had defined, if anybody, it's Judas, defined himself by one moment. He, he could not even live, he could not live with that one moment, rightfully so to a degree, mm. right? But because he defined himself by that one incident, what did he do? He killed himself. Mm. He took his life because the grief was so unbearable. And I would say that is what happens. That is the end result. Maybe not 
taking one's own life. I want to be sensitive about that. But what I am saying, in the least, living with great anxiety, Mm -hmm. living with great unrest, Mm -hmm. living in depression, Mm -hmm. that is the end result if you define yourself by one moment, good or bad. Mm -hmm. If if, if I am uh, Peyton Manning and I define myself by that Super Bowl win, that means the rest of my life is awful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If I define my life by the one single greatest thing I ever did, right. now what else? What's my life it's, worth? It's, it's the Uncle Rico syndrome. Do you remember Uncle, Uncle Rico? Rico Do you remember Uncle yeah, Rico? Yeah, I remember from Tina. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. All he was obsessed <laughs> with his time. It's fun yeah. to laugh at, but I mean, yeah. we all know an Uncle Rico yeah. or have encountered somebody where he, Uncle Rico. If you don't know, he was obsessed with his time in high school football. By the way, Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. I'm really excited to show that movie to my the, kids. Uh, the movie. I was going to say the character. Or yeah, the movie no, the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was It was kind of a strangely brilliant ahead of its time. It really was. Do you remember how He's many so kids were obsessed with Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah. Walk around saying. That was the right. That was right in my stuff. time. That was right in my time in like, <laughs> in your wheelhouse. In like high school and stuff. So defining moments. Yeah, a big moment. If you define your life by the one single greatest moment, now the yeah. rest of your life isn't great. Yeah. Equally, if you define your life by the one lowest moment, mm. you can't come back from that. And so we can't define our life by one moment. Yeah. I don't care what it is, yeah. but we have the tendency to do that because we have an enemy who wants us to define mm-hmm. ourselves by something that we've done. And here's what is so amazing about the gospel. I am not defined by what I've done, good or bad. Mm. I get to be defined by what Christ has done. Right. Now think about that. What Christ has done is the reason that I can walk through process. Right. What Christ has done, being faithful throughout his process, going to the cross, dying, rising again, that process of the gospel, because of his process, which was a perfect process, I can now be defined by him. Otherwise, I'm going to be defined as failure. I'm going to be defined as uh, liar. I'm going to be defined as whatever. But Christ's process, which is a perfect process, um, yeah, it, it his blood covers my process. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, and it's, it's fascinating. A, it's an important reminder. So let's let's see if we can let's see if we can get to some practicality here. Um, yeah. For people who are feeling in yeah. in process, uh, let us know. By the way, sorry, I didn't mean to hold your hand. Let us know. By the way, if this is I don't know if people are commenting or jumping in here. Let us know if this makes sense. I, I really think this is a big point for us uh, as Christians, yeah. uh, as people who still struggle with sin. Um, I know in my life, I, st- I still at times wrestle with guilt for things that I've done 15, 20 years ago. Right, and the enemy loves to throw that stuff into your he face. Wants to def- me to def- he wants me to define myself by what I've done. Yeah, and we've, we, we've talked about this uh, recently, I feel like, where um, you know the enemy's goal is to have you focused on your past mistakes mm. or worried about the future. Oh, yeah, that's you good. You know, because yeah. scripture, what does Scripture tell us? That God gives us right now. He mm-hmm. gives us right now. Mm-hmm. It tells it, scripture literally says like don't worry about tomorrow it's sufficient mm-hmm. for its own trouble mm-hmm. like the day is sufficient for his own trouble yeah. um, God's given us right now and the problem with getting caught up by defining ourselves by these mistakes mm-hmm. or by these past 
these past successes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm never going to be successful like that again. Or mm-hmm. man, I'm such a failure. Yeah. It drags down. It drags us down right now in yeah. this moment. Yeah. And it, it takes what was otherwise a gift, which is this immediate moment that we have, this mm-hmm. immediate moment that I have with you, the mm-hmm. immediate moment that moms and dads you have with your kids right now at home or with right. your spouse or or um, six feet away from your uh, from your desk mate probably right now, right. the mitigation stuff. Wherever, whatever moment you're in, it's easy to forget that God has given that to you as a gift. That moment yeah. is a gift. It's not a punishment. Yeah. And if you're living in anxiety, you're you're letting it you're letting your existence feel like punishment rather than mm-hmm. than gift. But and it's a gift and it's a gift for another reason too. Um I I think it's a gift that we don't realize because and I'll speak from my my own point of view, from my perspective. Cuz I don't realize like the reason that I wrestle with guilt, right? Or shame is because I don't believe that God is as good as he says he is. Mm. The other reason is that the people I know don't love me and forgive me like Jesus does. And by the way, I don't either, Mm -hmm. right? What do I mean? Number one, I don't believe that God is as good as he says he is. What does that mean? That means this. If I really truly believe that God is as good as he said he is, I wouldn't wrestle with guilt. Because the moment that I accepted Christ, my sin was forgiven. (laughs) And Scripture tells us that God takes our sin and remembers it no more. That doesn't make him less God, right? The fact that he doesn't remember. It means that he willingly chooses to not acknowledge. Right. It's not like God's like, oh, I... Hold on, let me go search my data, you know, my data yeah. bank here and go back. Yeah. And I'm, I can't remember it's not it. There. Yeah, one of my he willingly chooses One of my favorite to. illustrations is this idea of God casting it behind his back. Mm. You know, and I don't know why that helps me. Maybe that doesn't help you, but just this idea that he he puts it at his back. Oh, it's so and, good. And and doesn't turn around and, and look at it. Doesn't turn around and look at it. Which and by the way is really hard to do. If there's something behind you that you know is oh, there yeah. and you're like uh, Who's the wife that turned around and turned to stone? Oh yeah. Looking back. Oh, I mean yeah. that's a little, little oh, yeah. story. Lot's wife. Lot's wife. Lot's wife. A pillar um, of salt. Pillar of salt. Because she looked back. But <laughs> how crazy. But that's God being God, He can, ca- and that, it's so hard for us to like wrap our heads around. But He can, yeah. He can cast our sin to His back, yeah, and just say, "Nope." Yeah. Like, so, and if I truly believe that God is as good as He said He is, then I wouldn't wrestle with guilt, right? Because the moment, the moment that I come to Christ, my sin is forgiven. Yeah. And by the way, this is the second part, which is I don't see other people loving me like Jesus loves me. Equally, I don't love people like Jesus right. loves people. So let's just be real about that. What does that mean? That means that the moment that I come to Christ, and this is, I could start preaching on this, so <laughs> sorry. But that means this, the moment that I come to Jesus Christ, my sin is forgiven. That's biblical. We believe that, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't know the extent of what that truly means. What sin? What sin is forgiven? Mm. The sin that I've done up to the point of meeting Jesus? Yes, okay. But that's where most people stop. Mm. The sin that I'm in in the moment? Yes, because that's sin. Mm -hmm. What about this? All future sin that I could ever do. Hmm. Yes. Yes. What sin? It's hard for us to wrap that. What sin does Christ forgive me of? Yes. I mean, think about Mm -hmm. that. That is what, that just, that gives me chills. What sin does the blood of Christ forgive me of? Yes. Every single Mm -hmm. thing. And, and 
Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, mm. Christ died for us. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for all my sin, for all my life, like thousands of years yeah. before I was even yeah. born. It's just my acknowledgement of that right. that gives me access to God and, the Father. And this is an important and freeing Boom. principle. Yeah, it's an important I and mean, really. freeing principle if you can dial into it because you're already, like if you believe that Jesus saved you from stuff you've already done, he died a long time ago for mm -hmm. it. You're already acknowledging this mm -hmm. principle, yeah. but because you're living your life going forward, like you feel, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's hard to be reminded yeah. of that, yeah. that promise or be reminded of yeah. the. But the truth is you've already acknowledged it. If you acknowledge that Christ's death thousands of years ago mm -hmm. saved, saved you from the stupid things that you did when you were mm -hmm. 16, mm -hmm. then if you live to be... 80, it's it's going to keep on going. It's not yeah. going to be stopped. Because if it stopped, guess what? You're lessening your view of the Savior. Yeah. You're lessening the view yeah. your view of God and His ability to yeah. save, His saving mercy, His saving grace, yeah. um, which is, um, it's not an appropriate view of, of God, right? No, it's not. And I, and I think it's sad, and I'm included in this conversation just as much as anybody else, that I willingly allow myself to settle for labels um, that are lesser than God's label. Mm. And what I'm really talking about here is identity. Yeah. When I come to Christ, I get a new identity. Corinthians tells us that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything's been made new. That newness is a reference there to the word ex nihilo, out of nothing, right? So I'm not made better, and that's what we have to understand. Mm -hmm. Every other religion tries to get you to be better. Right. Oh, you can advance. You yeah. can become more enlightened. You can be more illuminated. You can be a, a better human. Nope, not with Christ. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want you to be better. He wants you to be new, new. an altogether different thing. Yeah. You were dead. Christ's, Christ brings you to new life. Mm -hmm. Tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, whoa. Ooh, how do I do that? Yeah, you know, yeah. like, what does that mean? It yeah. is, how is man to be literally born again? Yeah. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're supposed to be this great teacher. Right. This, is, this is confusing to you, yeah. and it's confusing to us because we truly don't understand how good God is and how much Jesus Christ loves us and forgives us. Right. So this understanding of becoming a brand new creation is something that is, that is totally an amazing concept. And so if we allow ourselves to be labeled, and this is what I was getting at, by the middle, right? We're going to miss the overall label of forgiven. My mm. greatest label, my trumping label is child of God. It is. John 1, 12. You know, I'm no longer born of flesh and blood. I'm born of the Spirit. Mm. I am now worthy, God's words here to mm -hmm. us, worthy to be called a child of God. Mm -hmm. Here's the question. Can a child of God be an addict? Yeah, of course, we wrestle with addictions, mm -hmm. but I'm not labeled an addict by God. I'm labeled as forgiven. I'm mm -hmm. labeled as son. Do you, do you see what mm -hmm. I'm getting here? Yeah. Can a child of God still be labeled personally, like smaller label, as a sinner? Yes, I'm going to continue to sin. Now, is it okay? Like, is it okay to lean into that label? Well, I'm an addict, so I'm just going to lean in. Yeah. No, 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 no. Right. That might be an indication that you're not yeah. a child yeah. of God. Well, that's where Paul says, by no means. By no means. Right. Yeah, that's we, a great point. <laughs> we, shouldn't, we shouldn't abuse grace because that's, that might reveal an aspect that you don't quite understand mm -hmm. um, what has happened or what the grace is. Or that, that you're not, or that you're not being defined 
by the label Child mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. That label should we should we should seek to allow that label to stamp out any smaller mm-hmm. identifier. Yeah. And when we don't, and a lot of us wrestle with anxiety, depression on a smaller scale, maybe not on a clinical level, but on a smaller scale, I would say like situational anxiety, anxiety situational depression because of our own personal failures. And we, we're viewing ourselves through the lens of the moment when we need to try to view ourselves through the lens of the process. Yeah. So do you feel like there's a difference between guilt and grief? Because when we sin, have we the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. there should be, we should be upset with ourselves. We Mm -hmm. should not like sin. We Mm -hmm. should not want sin. We should begin to um, find ourselves choosing obedience Mm -hmm. over sin in Mm -hmm. our lives. Scripture talks about Mm -hmm. this, right? Like the work of the Holy Spirit. Is there a difference between guilt and grief? Oh, totally. I think there's, and by grief, uh, I, I think we could also use the word conviction. Sure. Right? So scripture makes that very clear. In the New Testament, it says there is a, uh, a grief or there is a, well, I'm, I'm trying to f- remember the wording, but it basically says there is a um, grief that brings about uh, repentance or worldly sorrow, mm-hmm. right? There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a challenge there. There's a conviction there that will br- either lead to um, repentance that leads to salvation, mm-hmm. or will lead us to you know worldly sorrow. Yeah. If I'm Con- if I'm remembering like that correctly, condemnation. Condemnation. Basically. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so, yes, I do think there is. Your question was what again? Remind Just the again? difference between guilt and grief, yeah. because we are in process and we yes. are going to struggle, um, and we we do sin, like you're mm-hmm. saying. But our reaction as Christians who have the Holy Spirit in us, mm-hmm. we should still feel upset about mm-hmm. sinfulness. Yes. But it's a different it's a different path than guilt, mm-hmm. right? And guilt is dangerous, let's be honest, because yeah. one of the things that guilt does is it begets more sin because it, like it's like I've I've already done this, you know what I mean? I've already like I've dealt with gluttony in my life. Yeah, yeah I never have. I, I fall I fall into that trap. I think everybody's <laughs> dealt with gluttony in something. I've already eaten one area. piece. I might as well eat the whole pizza. Exactly right. Or I already blew my or, diet today. I might it, as well. Exactly right. Like I I already I decided to have like I already cheated. I might as well have dessert. Let's I just get well. all the sin that we can in this one yeah. little moment. Yeah, guilt yeah. begets guilt begets guilt. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like this Trap, but that's not how the Holy Spirit works. No. The Holy Spirit leads us to repentance. Yeah. Right? And so if the Holy Spirit is leading us to repentance, guilt is not a part of that process. Yeah. So there is not godly guilt. There is godly conviction. Mm-hmm. Now, there is fleshly guilt. And by the way, like a part of that, I don't think is necessarily bad. It's not bad to feel bad that you've wronged Christ. Mm-hmm. You should. I mean, you should. We should. When we sin, we should be broken. But that brokenness should lead to repentance, which leads to salvation. Mm-hmm. Here's when you can tell that you're reacting out of guilt. If you're, if you're like, oh, I feel so bad, and you feel guilty, but then that will lead you to like sorrow. Like, man, I'm no, I'm no good. Mm. Like, I keep returning. You know, Scripture says like a dog returns to his vomit. Mm-hmm. You know, so a man returns to his sin. It shapes your identity. It's a cycle. Yeah. Think about this now. People caught in cycles in a process walking in circles within a process where it's start to finish and they're caught in a loop mm-hmm. and they can't get out. 
And that's what sin does Mm -hmm. when you don't have a greater identity because you feel guilty, then you feel bad, then you just keep in it, then you feel guilty, then you feel bad about Mm -hmm. it, and then you just go deeper into it Mm because it's the only thing that kind of temporarily satisfies you. Then you feel guilty about it, Mm -hmm. and then you feel broken over it or bad about it. But then the only thing that makes you feel any better in the moment is that sin that got you the guilt. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. And what it does is it keeps you immobile in the process. And here's what Christ did. He interjects himself into that process for us, that when I feel conviction, it leads me to repentance, and it brings about forgiveness. Mm. And when I get forgiveness, now I don't have to go back to what I had before because it's gone. And so here's God saying like, I know that you're identifying yourself as that. I've forgiven that. I've forgiven that. The moment that you came to me, I've forgiven that. Mm. It's gone. I remember it no more, which allows us to say, well, I don't have to feel guilty. Mm. I don't have to feel shame. I can be defined as forgiven. I can be defined as fully loved. By the way, this is why the way God loves us is unbelievable. Um, And I try to talk about this as often as possible. Like, Go to the greatest moment in your life. Your greatest achievement, the moment, you know, sp- spiritually speaking, where you were like, maybe it was a church camp, or maybe you got up and did a special at your church, or, you know, maybe you read through the whole Bible, you know? I don't know, that moment where you're like, uh, God's proud of me. <laughs> God is really, really proud of me. Go to that moment where you're most proud. Now go to that moment in your life where you are the most ashamed mm. of yourself, where you did something that you're like, I'm ashamed, okay? Now put those moments up next to each other. And here's what's amazing. God loved you the same in both moments. God loved you the same. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more or any less than he does right now because Mm -hmm. God loves us perfectly. If God didn't love me perfectly, then I would be under a religious uh, God and not a relational God. God. Mm. Religiosity says that I have to do something to earn. I can't earn anymore. There's nothing to be earned. It's been freely given completely 100%. That's Mm. mind-blowing and helps us move through the process. Yeah, it's a powerful encouragement. I hope that that you guys understand how much your God loves you. Um, Man, that's amazing. The God with a name, Yahweh. And that's what we've been walking through this whole time. We need to know our God. We need to go know Him better. We need to know Christ better, because our understanding of who God is shapes our day-to-day, and as we're going to discover this next month, shapes what our church looks like as well, right. our ecclesiology. Okay. Wow, good stuff. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to uh, run through some questions and comments and sign off for the day. We'll be right back.
outreach uh, looks a little different right now. It does. It's, it's interesting watching um, videos where you could get out and uh, physically do things, but we found out this week that we're at least taking a step towards opening <laughs> back <Yeah>. up. <laughs> a step yeah. towards to- Baby, opening Did you ever up. see What About Bob? Yeah. It's been a long time. But Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps. We're... We're taking baby steps. <laughs> big baby steps. Little baby little steps. Little baby steps. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, right. Little, little, but in that way, big baby steps. In the steps. sense yeah. that, you know what I mean. Yeah. Big baby steps. <laughs> ba- little big baby yeah. steps. Yeah. Uh, we are we're slowly seeing the beginnings of moving mm. towards normalcy. And you watch a video like that where we're, you know, we're seeing people building mm-hmm. um, houses on mission trips mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I know I've talked with people that are feeling like, uh, what can I do? What can I do yeah. in the midst of this? Um, Pastor David spoke a little bit about this on Sunday. You talked a little bit about this on Sunday. Do we have any clarity? <laughs> on what? <laughs> on church, on what's what's happening next. On the future? Uh, yeah, church? on the future. And I appreciate that we discussed talking about this before yeah. we talked about it. Yeah. Uh, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. And this is, let's, let's try and get up out of the process yeah. and look at a bigger bigger picture right here's what i know i think when something happens um that is a big disruptor everybody is always going to be trying to get back to what was but the fact of the matter is we can't erase the disruption Mm. so it has changed us as a people in every facet of life so what was is no longer right um and to whatever degree that means, what was is no longer. I mean, think about it. There was a, there was one guy years ago, the shoe bomber. Remember that guy? Right. Who put a bomb in his shoe, went tried to get on a plane. Well, one individual has now changed the way that we all ride an airplane. Right. We all have to take off our shoes. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm wearing sandals, <laughs> which, by the way, would be if you could put a bomb inside of a sandal yeah, and hide that. We'd be in bigger trouble. Exactly. But the fact is that one disruptor changed now the way that we do life. 9-11, disruptor, now changes the way that we view and filter life. Sure. This is the largest disruptor of at least our generation, yeah. of, our, of our time. It's going to shape how we do, what we do, where we do, what we do. Right, right. All those things for years and years and years to come. There have been all kinds of disruptions, Mm. not just to the negative, but to the Mm. positive. Very positive. Like, we, there was a time where people rode horses instead of cars. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Like, I I heard this story once. Played Pong. Played Pong with the paddles. I heard this story once about how one of the largest industries in the world um, during, during horse travel was leather. Because of all of the different things that you need, the mm-hmm. saddles and all of the different, I, I don't, I'm not a big horse person. But, yeah, I am. Um, saddles, do you I'm know, really into can horses. you name anything else other than a saddle? A bit, a bridle. Hey. Yeah. I've heard a this tail, before because I, I watched cowboy shows. Yeah. My grandfather loves cowboy shows. Okay. Ponderosa. That's the, <laughs> is that a restaurant? No, it's a show. No, Ponderosa. Yeah, okay. Bonanza. Okay, I've heard of Bonanza. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying, to, I was trying to think. This close. 
But when horses were the predominant um, version of travel, leather was one of the biggest industries in the world. Right. <clears throat> and then automobiles came out, and they mm-hmm. became more and more adopted, and the leather industry just tanked. Mm. And it's weird to think about, because there was probably some family who were, at the time, very wealthy yeah, and the had, had an empire, right? The yeah. leathers, Mr. and Mrs. Leather. Yeah. They had an empire of leather, but um, due to a disruption... Changed. Everything changed, and this happens mm-hmm. in life. We don't like to think about it. Mm-hmm. We don't like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2006, no, 2005, nobody would have had a smartphone right. in their hand. 2004, right. they wouldn't have, yeah. um, or whatever year that was. Uh, not that long ago, none of us would have been on social media. Mm-hmm. There are things that completely change our lives. Not that long ago, social media didn't exist. Right, right. So think about that. Because of disruption... What we're currently doing right now is happening. Mm-hmm. Had it not been for some disruption, what the conversations that we're having now would not have happened, mm-hmm. at least not in the same way. I mean, I was just talking to, I was talking to one of my kids the other day about cell phones because they're like, "Can I get a cell phone?" I was like, "No, yeah, no," which is a whole nother podcast, yeah. by the way, if you want to hear my take on that. But um, they're like, "No," and they're like, well, "When can I get one?" I was like, "You can't. You can't have one. Like, you can get a, you can get a flip phone." Yeah. I'll let you get a flip phone. You're like, well, that what's the point of that? I'm like, it's a phone. Yeah. You make phone calls. Right. That's the point. They didn't want it for the phone calls. That's the point, right? But I remember when I was 17 and I was going to college and my grandma gave me a cell phone. Okay. She And it was like this Nokia thing. It was like this little Nokia with this little green screen and you pulled up the antenna, right? And she told me, she's like, now, Travis, when you take this on the road, that's how my grandma talks. <laughs> She's like, make sure that... I hope she watches this. You only... She doesn't own a computer. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I promise. The woman who gave you your first cell phone doesn't own a computer? She doesn't own a computer. Wow. Yeah. Um, Anyway, she said, when you take this, make sure you don't use it unless it's an emergency. Yeah. And under no circumstances, do not send a text. And at that time, I was like, what's a text? Yeah. And she's like, it's going to charge me 30 cents for every text, (laughs) you know? And I remember taking a cell phone and being like... I'm never going to use this thing yeah. and putting it in under the dash. Oh, wow. Here we are years later and our entire lives are lived. Many people, their sole income is produced by their a phone. phone. Mm-hmm. That was a disruption. Mm-hmm. Had it not been for that disruption, though, right now the way we're doing church as a country could not be taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the one thing I can tell you to get back full circle to your yeah. question is... I forgot I had asked a question. I know. Sorry. Um, well, we got into the whole thing about horse riding yeah, and leather true. work and, and cell phones. We covered a lot in just the last 20, that's good stuff. 20 seconds. Um, I can tell you this. like God is in charge right. of building his church. Mm-hmm. We're not. All, we're, all, all we are in charge... That's never changed. No, that's always been that yeah. way. And by the way, the church has always been under persecution in some form or manner. Like We think in America, like, oh, this is the worst thing that ever happened to the church. And I don't want to be insensitive. This has been challenging on a number of levels. Yeah. I don't want to be insensitive to people who have passed. I don't want to be insensitive to people who are sick. Sure. That's tragic. That's hard. People have lost jobs. That's awful. However, when it comes to his church, this is not the worst thing that's ever happened to the church, right. even close. Right, right. I mean, China has been locked down in terms of the gospel 
for years and years and years and years and years, mm -hmm. people only having slivers of the Bible, people memorizing passages and books of the Bible so they could retain it and think about it because it's illegal to have it. Mm -hmm. Pastors being murdered and slaughtered in various parts of the world. In the Middle East, you could not meet if you were a Christian person. If you converted from Islam to Christianity, oftentimes you are publicly executed. So what? I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. We are sitting on our couches watching church on a Sunday morning saying, this is the worst thing to ever happen to us. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. And also, so just a little perspective, okay? You can push back on that all you want. I'd welcome it. But the fact of the matter is Christ will continue to build His church yeah. in new ways. And if we don't get on board, the longer that we try to swim back to what was, the farther we will be away from what Christ is trying mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. So we need to have a balanced, right? We talked about that last week. We need to have a balanced approach on how we continue doing church in the future, and we only have to steward what God has given to us, and He will make the results take place. So. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I think we all value being together in person. Of course we do. But there is no doubt that in this process mm -hmm. that we've been going through, God has been revealing to church leaders, mm -hmm. to individuals within the church, mm -hmm idols, sacred cows, mm -hmm. things that we hold up as though they are what church is, yeah. that are actually mm. just things we've gotten used to because we yeah. were raised with them or because we've grown to like them, mm -hmm. you know, um, whatever that might be. And, and it's not that we don't long for public gathering. It's, long, it's sure. not that, but there would be a temptation in this moment to not see something that I have no doubt God is trying to show us totally. in the midst what is of that? this. What do you think that is that he's trying to show us? Well... <clears throat> I have my opinion, but I want to hear yours. I think that it's been said for a long time before this pandemic. I mean, we, we, we preach on it, we talk on it, we hear it talked on, that there is something really off about the American church. And I know that this pandemic is worldwide, and so mm -hmm. I think he's showing different things. Um, and I've... I've thought before, like, man, I don't know what it would take to wake up God's, mm. God's people. And so I just find myself thinking, like, this is him, like, kind of, like, mm. shaking us to try and get our mm. attention. And I, I don't quite understand exactly what's next mm. yet, but what I have no doubt of is that it is God's providence and grace mm. that this disruption is happening. Yeah. I, hope you're, I hope that you are, I hope that you're listening right now. I think this is one of the most important things that we could talk about right yeah. now, honestly. Yeah. So keep keep going. I hope you heard what he just said. Keep going. I think that it's God's providence and grace that's what what's happening is is what's happening because I believe in His sovereignty, mm -hmm. and so things that happen, I don't believe happen on mm -hmm. on accident. And I don't mean to say that He causes death to hurt us or anything mm -hmm. like that. But what I'm saying is Scripture outlines for us that He is big enough, powerful enough, loving enough to take this nonsense, mm -hmm. this mess, it. and work it together for our good, mm -hmm. Scripture says. And if we don't, by the way, that's the difference between defining what's happening by a moment yes, or defining the process by God's sovereignty. Yeah. If I define what's happening in the moment, of course I'm in chaos. If I define what's happening, this whole situation by the moment, then what are we going to do about church? How's this ever going to happen? Mm. I'm sorry. That's not in my control. Yeah. So I'm going to trust my sovereign God, get up out of the moment, and then say, what's the bigger thing that God is trying to teach us? And I could not agree more with you when you say, what would it take? Because we've all had that feeling, yeah. I think. Yeah. If you truly care about church and 
you know, I think we're church nerds. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am, you know, we study church, we study church culture. I love it. I care about it. So much of it is so weird and I love it, you know, (laughs) from, you know, the weirdest church mugs to the (laughs) horrible church shirts with doves and lambs and, and, you know, flannel grass. We talk about all this stuff. I love it. It's weird. We love the lambs on the hillside with like the light shining down. (laughs) I feel like that's a whole nother conversation, right? Um, but the fact of the matter, where was I going with that? Uh, God love is church culture. Yeah, we love church culture, but God is we. Oh yeah, if you love church culture, then you you really have realized like the product of the American church is not correct. Mm. Like what what the American church is producing is not really probably the product that God was after from his, mm. from his church, from his people. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in part. I'm just saying that there are a lot of expenses, a lot of time, a lot of energy going into this machine that is producing minimal results. Mm. And now what we're seeing is, I agree with you, God kind of taking that thing and shake, like picking it up and shaking it mm-hmm. and saying like, hey, figure out a better way because mm-hmm. this is awful. Mm-hmm. Right, because what does it produce? It produces, by and large, what we've seen: consumers, people that say, "I'm going to go to a place, sit there, consume everything, have nothing demanded from me, and then go, and then Jesus is going to give me everything I want." Mm-hmm. And that, by and large, is the American gospel. Yeah, yeah. And so, what we're in in this season is God saying, "Like, hey, what do you think about me now? Yeah. Hey." Uh, you're wa- hey, you lost your job. What do you think about me now? Yeah. Hey, you lost a loved one. Am I still faithful? Am I still good? Right. Um, hey, there's a lot of questions around you know, getting together and meeting. Uh, do you care about your church now? Are you still going to be faithful in, mm-hmm. in serving and giving? Are you still going to give to your church during this time? Are you still going to give love to your church during right. this time? Are you going to give to the body in this time? Like, what do you think about it now? Yeah. And in that way, what we're seeing is this new... And I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. But but we're starting to see the birth pains, right? Yeah. With scripture says that we're starting to see the birth pains of that emerging. And I'm excited. I am too. I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah. I am too. I, I, I look at it as it's it's like the idea of wildfires. Like wildfires in and of themselves, um, they they burn stuff out, mm. but then the end result of that is they create space for new growth. Yeah. And you see that in God's creation all mm-hmm. over the place, where, mm-hmm. where you know things that seem to do harm at first mm-hmm. make room mm-hmm. for new growth, for yeah. new life, for new things. That's and good. we might be in the process of the wildfire. We yeah. might still be burning up a little bit. But it's um, not survival of the fittest. No. Which is, I think, what a lot of, a lot of, you know, that's the way it's been done before. Like, well, the you have the best of this and the best of this and the yeah. best of this. It's survival of the fittest. This church is not survival of the fittest. It's not like the fittest church is going to come out the other side mm-hmm. and dominate. I would say it's the survival of the faithful. Yeah. Like, because once again, all we are accountable to do is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because scripture says, when Christ is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. To himself. Yeah. So we're faithful. Now, as pastors, it's a little bit different. I'm accountable to Ephesians 4, which, by the way, by and large, does not happen. I'm going to get kind of opinionated here, but that's what this midweek thing is for, to a degree, right? (laughs) Yeah? By and large, it's not happening in an American church. 
by and large, Ephesians chapter 4, what is the role of pastors or these leaders? It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ, so that we, so that, yeah, so that we grow in, in our walk, so that we all reach the fullness of, of, you know, the knowledge of Christ. Well, we haven't been, by and large, the American church isn't known for equipping people to do the work of ministry. By and large, the American church has been one where they're just like, watch me do my yeah, thing. Professionalized it. Watch me. Great book by John Piper, My Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. Mm. Came out years ago. The words are so true. We are not professionals. There is no professional Christian. Mm-hmm. There is no, but we've professionalized it, right? It's like we go to watch LeBron. We go to watch the team. We go to see LeBron play. Like, we'll be cool. Like, if there's somebody else speaking at our church, we'll go. But, man, I want to watch LeBron. I want to see him. But the fact of the matter is you can go play basketball too. Mm -hmm. You're not limited in playing basketball just because maybe you can't dunk like LeBron doesn't mean you shouldn't be out there playing with your kids playing basketball. Mm -hmm. Does that analogy make sense? I think so, yeah. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) you're so gracious. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I think so. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, we have an opportunity not to be to not be on the sidelines. And if you're on the sidelines in your faith and just watching pastors, mm. professional ministers, yeah. church staff do things and you're cheering them on, then you've kind of missed the point of faith. Yes, totally. My job is not to necessarily to make you happy, yeah. to tickle your ears, to entertain you. My job as a pastor is to equip you equip you, to disciple you, to show you how to disciple other people, to show you how to walk with Christ, to show you how to to live and endure in a pandemic. Yeah, That's yeah. my job. Well, and right now, we need, we, need, we need to be equipping, and we need to be equipped more than ever before, because we are in, we are in the middle yeah. of a process. And right I think now. that's why, and I know we're going over on time, but that's okay. We'll just keep talking about this a little bit. Um, I think that right now what we're seeing, maybe at least in my life, more than ever, is a wedge being driven through the church, and I think it's a good thing. Mm. It's a sad thing, but it's a good thing. I think that we're seeing two, we're going to see two completely different churches emerge from this, ones that equip and ones that care more about different metrics. I don't want to get too much into that, but ones that care about the metrics of how do we look? How many people are viewing? How many people are seeing? Mm. What does this sound like? Let's produce the best polished product. But then over here, it's not like they don't care about excellence, but it's like, how many are we equipping? Mm. Like soft metrics. How many people are being discipled? How are people interpreting God's yeah. word? Things that are, are much reading? more difficult to actually measure numerically. You know? 100%. Yeah. And classically, what we see is this church survives, this church thrives but in a different way mm. it, it, it and I'm not I'm not like throwing like every church that looks great or sounds great under the bus by no means like not at all what I am saying however is the wedge that is in between those I think that it's being driven greater and greater and I think the church that survives to the greatest and and thrives in the greatest way is the church that comes out of this equipping yeah if you find it and I would say this, if if your church, I don't care where you're watching this from, what part of the world, if your church is not equipping you with the gospel, if your church is not equipping you on how to share the gospel, if your church is not equipping you to take the gospel out, how to read scripture, how to be a better parent, if they're not equipping you with biblical things like that, then 
That is not a church that's abiding by Ephesians chapter 4, and mm-hmm. that means that it is really, truly more like a church that we read about in Revelation, where Jesus says, uh, they're singing songs about me, uh, they're talking about me, but my spirit is long gone. Mm-hmm. I am not there. And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and yeah. anyone who will allow me to come in, I will sit and dine with him. We have, did we already talk about this? Well, I mean, we've talked about it, little bits of all of these things. Yeah, I mean, just that idea that we always think that passage is about unsaved, lost individuals, oh, Jesus yeah, yeah. standing at the door knocking, yeah. but it's him standing on the door and knocking of his own church. Yeah, yeah. Think about that They're sobering inside, picture. celebrating him, he's outside with the door shut. Can't yeah, saying, hey, let me in. Yeah, and so I think Terrifying that's the divide. thought. But I think that's the divide that yeah. we're seeing. Yeah, and we don't want to be... Uh, that type of body here at Covenant Church. We definitely want to be an Ephesians 4 church, and um, that's what we'll continue to strive for and pray towards and work towards, especially in this process. And so if you're wondering, hey, what's next? I don't think we have a lot of clear answers, but what we can commit to um, is is that. Equipping equipping the church. church. That's who we want to be, and we're going to continue to be faithful with what God's given us and where we are and who He's called us to. Sorry for talking about that so much. No, it's okay. It's just been on my mind a lot. It seemed like it was on your Sorry, mind. Sorry, listeners. Good. It's good. It's good stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining us again today for Covenant Midweek. We hope you enjoyed our conversation as we continue that conversation from the weekend. Um, we've got more stuff for you coming up this week. Uh, we have uh, Pastor Travis tomorrow. You have some evangelism stuff tonight as yeah, well tonight, for the core. Yeah, for evangelism core stuff for the core tonight. We have uh, Pastor Travis tomorrow, story time with Miss Stacy on Friday. And then as always, we would invite you to join us for Covenant Weekend on Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11 o'clock, where we're going to kick off a new series uh, called Cookie Cutter Church. So that should be a good series, yeah. kind of in the vein probably yeah. of what you were talking about a little bit there. Yeah. So we invite you to join us for those things. Again, you've been watching Covenant Midweek, where we continue the conversation from the weekend. We'll see you next time.